Today, uh, we are in part three of the rise and fall of King Saul. Uh, last week, we saw, saw, we saw Saul reach uh, the peak. We saw him reach the pinnacle. And today, we're going to start to see uh, the fall, to see the why, right? to see why things are falling apart. And we've got two main themes that we've seen throughout this entire series. Uh, who you listen to matters, right? Your friends determine your destination, and you need to remember your victory comes from God. You need to remember it's, it's God moving. It's not you moving. Your victories come from God. God is the one who gives victories. It doesn't come from us. And so last week we kind of saw that the spirit had left Saul, like God had left Saul, that he was no longer filled with the spirit. And that things went well initially for Saul after that happened because he kind of used David. He leveraged him. Instead of Saul being filled uh, with the spirit, he uses David who is filled with the spirit. And so today we're going to rewind a little bit and look at the why. Why did the Spirit of the Lord leave Saul? Because uh, what happens is important, but why it happens is even more important. Right? What happens, the what is not as important as the why. So we're going to look at the why the Spirit left Saul. Now, a little bit of backstory. Saul, he's getting ready to fight the Amalekites. And uh, Samuel, that's where in the book of 1 Samuel, that's where he's been, he's a prophet. He comes to Saul, and he has this message from the Lord. He has this message from the Lord. It's 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. It says, one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen, now listen to this message from the Lord. He says, hey, uh, before I start telling you this message from the Lord, I want you to remember who told, you to anoint, who told me to anoint you as king, right? God, uh, he's got another message for you that I'm gonna pass along. Saul's message, uh, Samuel's message from the Lord is basically this. Hey, you're getting ready to fight the Amalekites. You're gonna win. When you defeat them, here's what I need you to do. Destroy everything. Uh, don't, take any, don't take any plunder, get rid of it all. This land has been filled with evil and idol worship and all kinds of idolatry. Don't save anything, clean slate. Don't keep anything. Get rid of it all, destroy it all. So Saul and his army, they have victory over the Amalekites. I wanna pause, who gave them victory, right? Was it them and their strength? No, God gave them victory. So since God gave them victory, they're gonna do what God said, right? God said, don't keep anything, get rid of it all. Um, Let's see how they responded after the battle. Saul and his men spared Agag's life. Uh, that's the king of the Amalekites. It doesn't say King Agag, but that's who they're talking about. They spared the king's life and kept the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. Uh, they destroyed only what was worthless or poor quality. They got rid of the stuff that was worthless. They got rid of the stuff that has no value to them. Uh, but they kept the things that they thought had value. Uh, God is saying, hey, this is trash, this is garbage, it needs to be destroyed. Uh, but they say, hey, God's trash is our treasure. Right, that's kind of what's happening here. And so you, you can just imagine the wheels turning and the justification that these men had to have had. Like they're there, they just battled like, Saul, we're hungry. Look at all these fattened calves. We could eat one. Uh, surely we could get, we don't want to just waste these and just destroy them all. Surely we could get something useful, something good from these. Don't be wasteful, right? It's here. Uh, we should use it. And so Saul and his army, they sin. And I want to be clear, it's not the act of keeping these valuable things. It's the act of disobedience. 
God said, destroy it, uh, and they said, no. Saul said no. And sin always has a price. There is always a cost to sin. There's no, there's no way around it. And here's, here's what happens uh, after this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, this is to the prophet Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. Uh, obedience, uh, I say this, I feel like all the time I had, had somebody who just instilled this into me, and it's just the truth. Obedience brings blessings, and disobedience brings consequences. All right, so he had the disobedience, he didn't listen to God, it's gonna bring consequences, and so here's what we see. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Samuel went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. Uh, do you remember when, a couple weeks ago, when Saul was first chosen as the king, he was, he was humbled, he was weary about uh, having the crown, okay? Uh, and so much so that he's literally hiding in the luggage. Now he has battle and he wins and he is off building a monument to God, no, building a, God, a monument to himself, right? His, his first battle, he's, he won. Right after the battle, he went and what did he do? He went with Samuel and he worshiped the Lord, after this battle, he goes and builds a monument to himself. You can see from these external things what, God, what is happening in his heart. Saul's posture has changed. And here's what happens when Samuel catches up to Saul. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. You can just almost see like him like, we've just won. I just put the monument to myself. Hey, the Lord has blessed us. We've carried out his command. Um, and uh, I, I like what uh, Samuel says. He, he doesn't buy it. It's like, really? You, you obeyed the Lord's command? Like, remember, you kept all the stuff you thought was valuable, and God said, get rid of it all. And so Samuel, he doesn't really buy it. Um, he, he calls him out. Here's, <laughs> I love how he's just pretty much like, he doesn't say, yeah, you're right. Here's what he says. Uh, I think we skipped one there. Verse 14. All right. It might not be there, all right? Verse 14, it goes like this. I will just tell it to you, all right? Uh, it says, he, he calls him out. He says, the God has given us victory. We've, done, we've obeyed the Lord's command. And then he says, then what's all this bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. Oh, you obeyed everything. Why do I hear the cattle out there in the field? Like, I can still hear them. You really, you obeyed God? Uh, and, and Saul does what any of us do uh, when someone calls us out and what we're prone to do in our flesh. When we have someone point out the wrong that we've done, uh, Saul, he does what we do. He goes into spin mode, right? Sell this person why you made this decision. Justify the decision that you've made. And Saul knows that Samuel is a man of God. He knows this is a man of God. This is a prophet of God. God has spoken to Saul through Samuel. So uh, Saul tries to appeal to that in him. And he says, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle. Uh, but the reason we sacrificed them is we, are going to, we saved them is because we are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. And Samuel, he's kind of like done with it. He's like, I'm going to quit playing games. He tells Saul what God told him the night before. Remember, God told Samuel he was sorry that he ever made Saul king. He tells that to Saul. 
He's, he's saying, hey, here's the price of your disobedience. Uh, and he, here's how Saul uh, responds to hearing that. He goes, but I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Listen, one more verse here. Keep going. It says, then my troops brought back the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He says, hey, I destroyed everything. I just saved the king, uh, which there's some dispute about why a lot of people think he saved the king kind of to keep him as a trophy, right? He's gonna kind of beat him up, take care of him, like, hey, you think you can mess with me? Look what I did to this king. So he, he saves the king, and then he saves the best of the animals. So he's saying, so that I could offer them as a sacrifice to the Lord. I disobeyed you so that I could offer sacrifices to you. It seems so silly when you hear about it in someone else, but uh, I think you see this in, in kids a lot of times. They don't get it. Imagine you tell your child to go clean their room, and they do it, right? And if you got young boys, and even young girls, right, uh, younger kids, uh, they will have these. They clean everything except for the Legos that are scattered everywhere. They do everything except the Legos. And then uh, when you ask them about it, they cheerfully respond. Remember how Saul was like, I've done the work of the Lord. I've obeyed the Lord. They cheerfully respond, hey, I'm giving the Legos to you. They're yours now. Don't worry about it, right? It, it doesn't work like that. That's not gonna sell. And so when, when Saul tells Samuel, hey, I've got this sacrifice that I'm planning. That's why I saved them. Uh, Samuel responds, and this is one of the most well-known verses. I feel like a lot of people have heard it before. It says, what is more pleasing to the Lord your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. He continues, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Our submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. It goes on a little further. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. Samuel tells Saul straight, God does not need your sacrifice. He doesn't need you to do uh, the checkmark list of doing this. He wants your heart. God wants your obedience. He wants to guide you. When you ignore his way, you're saying, I know better. Can I just, just pause for a second and, and say, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Uh, God doesn't want your Sunday attendance. He wants your heart. God doesn't want anything other than your heart because if God has your heart, everything else will fall into place. It's just the truth. And so Saul, he hears this from Samuel and he, he, he reveals the reason why, right? The why is more important than what. He reveals the reason why he took the plunder. Verse 24 says this. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. You catch that. I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Saul, he gives his ear to the crowd. He listens to the people out there instead of listening to God. Who you listen to matters. Your friends, the people who have your ear, will determine your destination. When we see Saul first become king, he talks about he's going to ignore the scoundrels, the people who don't seek to honor God. 
And now Saul has power and influence. He feels like this is his. And he doesn't want to lose it. He doesn't want to lose influence. He doesn't want to lose his power over these people. So he gives them his ear. And to ease his conscience about giving in to them, he says, hey, they want me to do this, so I'm going to say we're going to make this as a sacrifice to the Lord. Saul has forgotten where he has come from. When we first see Saul, he's literally his dad's errand boy. He's looking for his dad's lost donkeys. And then God supernaturally called and equipped him to be king. He has forgotten God is the one who gives him victory. So it says that uh, Samuel and Saul, they worship together one last time, and then they both go home. And I want to see this last verse here. I think it's really important. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. Samuel, this man of God, this prophet of God who has, has done incredible things uh, in the life of Saul, he, he can't be with him anymore. And this goes on for some time. And then uh, in chapter 16, it, it kind of turns a new leaf. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil, go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So Samuel, he goes and he finds Jesse. And then he sees Samuel's son, Eliab. Uh, and this has some parallels to what we saw when he saw Saul. Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Remember when Samuel saw Saul enter the city at the very first time, he said the exact same thing about him. And he was right. He said, surely this is the one God has anointed. This time, it's different. Last time he said that and God was like confirmed it, right, with all these signs and things. This time, it's a little different. In verse 7, it says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Remember, when we saw Saul at the beginning, it says he was a good-looking man. It says he was head and shoulders taller than everyone. God is telling Samuel, this time is different. Uh, I want uh, the man to, that's going to be king, I want him to have a humble heart. I'm not looking for a great physical specimen. I'm looking at their heart. Can I just tell you, church, God, God wants your heart more than he wants anything else. He does. So he, he rejects Eliab, and then Jesse, he presents all of his sons, uh, except for the youngest, because his youngest is out working, right? Like, he's the youngest, so you're going to be out there attending to the sheep and the goats. Uh, he's the youngest. Surely the youngest wouldn't be the one anointed by the prophet. So Samuel goes through all of Jesse's sons that are there uh, and asks, hey, is there any, is there any more? Because uh, like God has not said that it's any one of these. He's actually said it's not. Uh, so Jesse's like, yes, my youngest, he's still out in the field. And Samuel says, hey, bring him here. So Jesse sent for him. Uh, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Uh, I remember that God's talking about the heart, but I think it's funny that he had to add that he was dark and handsome, but beautiful eyes. Uh, he wants the heart. But, and the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had, he had brought, and anointed David 
with the oil. He anointed David with the oil. Now I want you to see this next part and how it ties to what we finished up last week. And he gets anointed and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. That's verse 13. It says the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. Remember, why did we start here? We wanted to see why the spirit of the Lord left Saul. Verse 13, the spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon David. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. David is filled with the spirit. Next verse says the spirit of the Lord has left Saul. As soon as the spirit fills David, the spirit left Saul. Uh, and there's a second part of this verse. We didn't have time to get into it last week, but we're going to get into it here. It says this, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him, that's Saul, filled Saul with depression and fear. Not only has the spirit of the Lord left Saul, he has a tormenting spirit that is giving him uh, depression and fear. I just want to pause. There is some debate about the language, whether it should say the Lord sent it or it's trying to say, hey, God's not here, and so this void left, he's being tormented by another spirit. Uh, Since the Lord wasn't there to protect him, uh, maybe Saul just had this tormenting spirit come upon him. Uh, So I don't want to get into that. I want to focus on the point. The spirit of God left Saul. Saul is depressed and filled with fear. That's not a good place for, he is still the king of Israel right now. That's not a good place for the king to be fearful and depressed. So Saul's servants, they have an idea. Uh, We can't have the king like this. So they said, hey, I've, I've got an idea. Here's what we'll do. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. Hey, you just need some chill vibes. You need somebody to come in to play the harp, and you're going to feel better when those moments happen, right? Uh, music actually is a powerful thing, right? It's a good deal. But, hey, uh, this is what their solution is. Hey, we want you to play some, hear some calming music when you have these moments uh, happening. And so uh, they, they try, to, try to find that. All right, said Saul, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. Keep going. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player, and the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. Hey, he can play the harp, and the spirit of the Lord is with him. Now, now he does not know that David is the new anointed king. He's going to be the next king. He doesn't know that. And so he's happy. He's like, hey, the Lord is with them. He's a talented heart player. Bring it on. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse, send me your son, David, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. The Bible is filled with these cool little moments. Uh, we talked about this in week one. Uh, I think sometimes we miss these moments when we're trying to read the Bible like a chest checklist to get it off the list of things we have to do instead of just enjoying, enjoying it. Uh, part one of the series, we talked about when Saul is chosen to be king, Samuel gives him all these signs uh, that's gonna confirm he's the one that God has appointed to be king of Israel. One of the signs for Saul was that on your journey home, because he was looking for dad's donkeys, on your journey home, you're gonna find a group of men. Uh, one of them's gonna have goats. Uh, another's gonna have bread. And another's going to have wineskins full of wine. Uh, What is David 
the one that the next one that God has anointed. He's going to be the second king of Israel. What does David come to bring Saul? A goat, bread, and wine. The king elect brings the same things that were signs for Saul. I remember at this point, Saul has no idea that David is the one God has chosen to be the next king. And so let's, let's see how this relationship starts off. All right, say the yellow out loud with me. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul, Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, uh, asking, please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. He's very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, and then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Saul loved David very, it's very much. Uh, he asked Jesse to let David stay in his service. He has David on retainer. I have a lot of bad times where I get depressed and I get fearful. I'm going to need this guy to live with me, okay? Uh, and whenever that tormenting spirit would trouble him, David would come and he would play the harp and Saul would feel better. Saul is troubled. This man filled with the spirit of God comes. He feels better. That used to be him. He used to be the one filled with the spirit. Uh, just like we saw last week, Saul is content to just use David instead of seeking repentance. Uh, shortly after these events, uh, these the events, uh, David and Goliath, that battle happens. So David and Saul are actually acquainted before the battle. And after the battle, we got into that last week, after the battle, it says this. <clears throat> Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Again, Saul is using David to help his kingdom. Uh, but today we kind of see, we saw the pinnacle and now we're gonna see that shift. We just read it, it says Saul loved David. He helped him fight his depression and his fears. He helped uh, Saul defeat Goliath and the Philistines. David was successful in everything that he did. And, and here's uh, the shift. Here's the shift and, and verse six says this. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, right, he, he took down Goliath, uh, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced with joy, uh, with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This is the crowd. All right, these are not people from uh, the king's courts or, or people from uh, the battlefield. This is noise from the crowd. Uh, but like we saw earlier, Saul, ha Saul has given his ear to the crowd, to the people. He's quit listening to those advisors that it said he had that loved God. He started listening to the crowd, and he hears this jingle, Saul's killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands, uh, and it upsets him greatly. Uh, this thing uh, very much so got under his skin. Uh, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. 
they credit David with ten thousands and, and me only with thousands, next they'll be making him their king. He continues, so from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Next they'll be making him their king. He isn't just keeping tabs on David to stay up to date. He's doing so because now he's jealous. Saul is jealous of David. Like five verses ago, it said Saul loved David. David would make his torment go away. David killed the Philistine. David succeeded at everything Saul put him to. It's about to get very, very interesting. Next verse. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. And he began to rave in his house like a madman. Saul has this tormenting spirit. Whose job is it to come and to calm him down, to play some music, right? It's David's. And, and here's what happens. David comes to play him some music. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand. I wonder where this is going. And suddenly he hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. David escaped him twice. We're going to talk about losing your marbles. Uh, Saul is so overwhelmed that he tries to pin David to a wall with a spear. And he doesn't just do it once. He misses, goes and gets that spear or has another spear, it's not clear, and does it again. Uh, uh, I've tried to help people and have them respond aggressively before, like they don't want help. Uh, I've never experienced anything on that level. He's like, hey, bro, I'm going to play the harp. Why don't you calm down? Uh, no, he throws a spear at him. Uh, David is trying to help Saul, and Saul is trying to kill David. And it says this. We keep going here. Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. He's, he's felt the shift he didn't realize it at first that, that David was filled with the Spirit in this mighty way. Now he knows God's not with me. He's with, he's with him. And David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. His victory comes from God. He succeeds not because he's awesome, but because his God is awesome. And Saul is incredibly jealous of David. He has to be sitting there thinking, that used to be me. I was the one who succeeded in everything. So Saul, in his jealousy, he starts to look for ways to kill David. If you remember, uh, when David killed Goliath, the bounty on Goliath was, hey, your family gets to live tax-free, and you get to marry uh, one of Saul's daughters. And so Saul's tactic here is to use his daughter as bait to kill David. Uh, because he, he wants to use it. He's like, hey, you've got the job, but now you're going to pay the price. That's kind of how, he, how he's doing it. And so uh, one day, Saul says to David, I am ready to give you my older daughter, Merab, as your wife. But first, you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines, and I'll let them kill him rather than me, rather than doing it my Self. And David responds, who am I? And what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? Uh, David is saying, my father's family is nothing. Saul's like, hey, you want to be a part of the family? You got to earn it. 
And David's like, I can't believe I had this opportunity. Like, God, you are so good. David goes and he fights and he's successful. He defeats them. Uh, but during that time, while he's gone fighting, Saul, his oldest daughter, marries another man. <laughs> Ouch is right, okay. Uh, Ouch is right. So hey, uh, but it, it all worked out. You go to verse 20, it says, in the meantime, Saul's daughter, Michal had fallen in love with David and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Saul, you know why Saul's delighted? Not because he thinks they're a match, right? Uh, not because their eHarmony profiles line up. He's thinking, I've got another chance. He likes this daughter too. I got another chance. So Saul kind of says to his men, he says, hey, um, tell Saul that you guys like him and that you think he should be the king's son-in-law. Like that, that should be fixed. And, and David says, hey, and when they tell him this, he goes, hey, I can't afford the price of the king's daughter. Like, I tried to do it, and then that fell through because she married someone else while I was gone. I can't afford the price to do it. And uh, here's how Saul responds to hearing that. Saul said, tell David, all I want for the price, uh, for the bride price, is a hundred Philistine foreskins. Vengeance of my enemies is all I really want. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. Definitely a weird price, all right? Um, but Saul doesn't really care. He just wants David to die. He's trying to send him on a suicide mission. And David, he's ecstatic about the opportunity. Verse 26 says, David was delighted to accept the offer. Before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting them all their foreskins to him. So Saul gave his daughter Michal to, to David to be his wife. Not only uh, does Saul survive this suicide mission, or I'm sorry, not only does David survive this suicide mission, he doubled the price. Hey, you want 100? Here's 200. Think about that. I send him on a suicide mission. I want him to go die. He comes back alive. My daughter gets married. I have another opportunity. I send him on another suicide mission. He devils it. Comes back. He's got, he's got Saul thinking a little bit. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter, Michal, loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Saul was jealous of David because the Lord was with him. Saul was afraid that who Saul was afraid that the people, that's how he said it, the people will make him their king. Saul tries to have him killed, but instead uh, he backs himself into a corner where instead of having him killed, he's now his son-in-law. Every time Saul tries to scheme and make things better for himself uh, after the Spirit of God has left him, he only makes things worse. He, he tries to kill David. Nope, David becomes family. It doesn't matter how smart or how cunning Saul is, the Lord's plan will not be foiled. They cannot be changed. Every time Saul tries to move his kingdom forward on his own power, it's as if God is saying, I'm pulling it away from you. Saul has forgotten where his victories come from. He has quit listening to the people God put around him. He has started listening to the crowd. Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Uh, most of us, the older we get, like just to be honest, the less we listen. 
uh, about three weeks ago, I, I just want to be real, I made a decision that I was like, like very confident about. Uh, I shared it with some people uh, that, like, about this decision that I made, and I got some, uh, some gentle pushback. Uh, uh, and as I got this pushback, I was like, hey, the ship's already sailed. Like, I, uh, I've already committed, it's too late. Like, I, maybe I would have listened to you, but like, I've already made this decision. And I gotta be honest, my deflection to the pushback affected me more than the question did, right? We are in the middle of a series about listening to other people and listening to the right people and remembering that it's God doing the work. And I'm sitting here saying, it's too late, we can't change course. And uh, that just sat heavy on my chest for like the rest of that day. Uh, I was like, I sleep on it, uh, I sleep on it. The next morning, it's like, still right here. Uh, so then I reached out to someone else and hey, I'm curious what you think about this. And they strongly agreed with the person who was pushing back. And this wasn't like a right or wrong decision. I think sometimes we think about life in this black and white. It was, which one is the best decision, right? Which one has the greater return? So I get some pushback. I'm like, no, this ship's already gone. It sits on me. I ask somebody else. And they're like, no, I strongly agree with this person. I think that's the right call, the change. And, and God just made it so clear, right? Uh, you need to trust the people you surround yourself with. That, that these are men uh, that have, their hearts have been touched by God. That they are walking with Jesus daily. I truly believe that. It would have been so easy to just dig in to say, nope, can't change, ball's already in motion, right? Uh, it was more work to change course. But what would that say about me if I don't listen to the people that I trust and the people that I respect? We cannot get puffed up with pride. We have to listen to the right people in life. Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Uh, Follow-up question. How's that working out for you? Are things going well? Who have you surrounded yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with people who are intimately connected to Jesus? They love him more than anything else. They want him to do a work in your life. Have you surrounded yourself with those people or are you just listening to the crowd? Listen to what social media says, listen to what people around you says, people, people at the office who don't care about your faith because the crowd will make you jealous. The crowd will shift your focus to yourself. The crowd will make you upset. And, and biggest of all, the crowd doesn't care about you. Think about what Saul heard. He said, these people don't care about Saul. They don't care about David when they sing in that song. They don't really know either one of them. They're just making a tune for the news of the day. The crowd doesn't matter. Your friends, people you listen to, will determine your destination. Who you listen to matters. Are you listening to people that love Jesus? Or are you listening to the crowds? People who don't have any input, any care about you at all. If you are faced with a difficult decision tomorrow, uh, who's the first person you reach out to? Who is it? Do you have it? Is it someone who loves Jesus? Because we need to surround ourselves with people who love Jesus. And then we got to listen to them. We have to listen to them. We have to listen to people that will remind us that victory doesn't come from us. Victory comes from God. It comes from God. We have to remember that.
have to remember who we're listening to, and we have to remember victory comes from God. Let's pray.